Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, I reckon most in the industry will be interested in this conversation we're about to have with Brendan Cook, CEO of O Media. Breaking news of the last week is that Brendan is exiting the company he built back in 1901 or whatever it was, Brendan. <laughs> um, but we are going to talk a little bit about uh, why he's going, what's next for, for O-Media, but then uh, his take on the bigger issues around ad industry challenges, the emergence of public space media, and why the $100 billion global programmatic sector is uh, is circling digital out of home and, and the opportunities there for the sector and what Brendan's thoughts are. But before we get to those meaty subjects, Brendan, the topic du jour you uh, announced to the market that you're you're leaving the company at some point once you find you know the right replacement and so on. Tell us a bit about the build up to this. What happened? Why are we seeing this from Brendan Cook? Firstly, Paul, thank you for those kind words. But I suppose I'm 60 this year and been doing it for 31 years by the time someone arrives. And uh, really, as a listed company and, and uh, such a big business, um, and and being a shareholder, and obviously bleeding orange, which is uh, O's logo colour, that's, that's, and that will always be the case, to move on required some significant planning. So the reality was I thought that the board, you know, should have the opportunity to be able to take their time to work through what uh, a CEO replacement should be, whether internal or external, and know that the business was in a safe pair of hands while that process was going on and they didn't have to rush the process. And in thinking through that, I thought that, uh, you know, the business is in a really good position at the moment, got great teams, great leadership teams right through the business, and it was probably in a great a great time to to really do this. And, of course, you know, uh, fortunately, uh, the board, um, you know, want me to be involved as a, a consultant all but, you know, not full-time, thank God. And, and that means that I can help out both the new CEO and all the other people in the business as, as we move forward as well. Well, firstly, do you think you'll be able to actually uh, take your hands off the wheel and let go, Brendan? Because it's it's your baby, right? It's it's a, it's a big thing. So, well, I'll be a shareholder. So I'll always be yes. watching with intent, interest. Um, look, I think the answer to the question is very much yes. Um, I've had some experience uh, in things that I've helped others out with, where it's absolutely critical that the outgoing CEO uh, recognises they're not the CEO, and that the CEO can get on and do their job. And what you're really there to do is to give some background, some history give them some thoughts around where some of the hidden challenges might lie and they'd like to consider. And that death of industry knowledge and death of experience is what you're trying to transfer. You're not transferring the ultimate directional decision, but you're helping give them some background and data and information. I see that that's going to be partly my role. The timing on this, how long you've given notice, how long? There's no timeline on that. Um, The board started the process with uh, their consultants um, and, you know, it's been good to see that I'm sure there's been some incoming inquiries, which is great. Yes, I'm um, sure. <laughs> uh, and I think that... Uh, you, would you like to throw some names up of who's... No. But you know, no, no, no chance, Brendan? No, no chance of that. Got to try. No, I well, know you have, but no chance. Um, look, I think, um, uh, you know, whatever it takes, it will take. Um, as we all know, even if it was a quick process, someone may have to give notice that another job may not be able to start a certain period of time. And, 
we've seen these processes, you know, take anywhere, you know, from four to 18 months. Right. So mentally I'm prepared for however long it takes to do whatever's required uh, as a leader of the business. Um, conversely, if the right person is found quickly, then that is great, or quick for these type of jobs, um, then that is great as well and we can we can move on from that point. What sort of style of CEO or capability of a CEO do you think that the business needs next after your departure? What does that CEO look like, he or she? Well, obviously we're an extremely big business. So there's a lot of skills. In, in An out-of-home business, in effect, is three very strong businesses. It's both a media business, it's a property business, and it's a logistics business. They've certainly got to have the ability in one of those three probably more media or property uh, in terms of their capability or just be a, a, a wonderful all-round um, executive uh, that that knows how to run good businesses. They'll definitely need to have media experience. Um, I think they need to understand the marketing and media industry. doesn't necessarily mean they have to have had media experience. So before we get to your big picture on what's going on at an industry level, what are you going to do when this new CEO arrives and you can take your foot off the pedal? Have you thought about what you might be up to? I'm doing this to not work as hard to start with. Yeah, so, nice. Uh, so therefore, some advisory work for some some areas would be would be of interest. Um, and I know there's a few of opportunities in that outside of out of home. Um, you know, a lot of experience that I've gained over has been starting as a one man band and growing to a big business. Um, uh, is a lot of um, I suppose war stories around around those processes that can help a lot of founders moving their businesses up and growing them, and some of the challenges they will face as as the businesses get bigger. And I think that uh, there's certainly some some people who would like me to help them with with that sort of thinking. Well, we look forward to tracking your semi-retirement if you actually ever get there, Brendan. Before we get into this quick stat download on Omedia, what are your numbers? Revenue, profit, people, audience, screens? Uh, revenues are up towards $700 million. Um, uh, we've given guidance to the market of between 138 and 143 million EBITDA uh, for this year. Obviously, as you mentioned, can't go into that. We have over 36,000 signs in Australia and New Zealand, everywhere ranging from bus shelters to railway stations to big billboards to university campuses, office buildings, over 500 shopping centres, um, airports, etc. So, and and also uh, we do the um, in-flight uh, advertising on Qantas planes as well. You've got a few things going on. Let's just go uh, first up. You know, you've been sitting, you've been in the ad business a long time. What are we? What are you seeing now about the conditions, the state of the market, the sentiment? Um, what's happening versus what you've seen in, in in previous previous years, Brendan? Is there anything different? Look, I think the reality is whenever you have uncertainty with either economies, leadership, or major catastrophes like the the bushfires, you get uh, you do get. Um, uh, ad spend challenges uh, at certain times throughout a year, and last year was no different. Uh, well documented for all media, where there was many months where there were you know downturn spends, um, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting in 2020 just how that plays out uh, in terms of consumer confidence, etc. Fundamentally, uh, the economic circumstances of the country aren't too bad, uh, so it's really a sediment issue that. Uh, and that seems to drive a lot of advertising expenditure because obviously it's geared to uh, how, how heavy consumers are spending. So hopefully uh, 
we will see some positive sentiment. We'll see consumers spending well. And if that's the case, uh, the ad market generally does pretty good. The growth spots, as I mentioned earlier, you've got the duopoly and Google and Facebook, which are uh, continue to power uh, ahead in, in, in growth terms. Um, and strangely enough, this this old legacy medium called Out of Home is, uh, is tracking along all right too. What the hell's going on there? Well, I think if you, if you go back to the fundamental basics, the key is our audiences haven't been disrupted. And what we've actually seen is as a consequence of that and the consequence of some new product, including the digital product, but just a, a whole range of uh, developments in the product side of our business over the last decade, um, we're seeing clients spend more money with us. And if they spend bigger, more money, it's funny how they get stronger return on investment results. So I think the the mediums in a globally and in Australia in a very strong position, purely on the basis that our audience is strong, there's better and quality ways to target those audiences, depending on the brief and all the different environments. And I think it's no coincidence that you see a lot of the the new uh, industries and the fangs, et cetera, et cetera, are quite substantial spenders on out of home and uh, we represent a big share of their budget because they know it also drives traffic as well as build brands. So you're talking that the, the big technology companies are, are spending uh, not in performance tactics but in sort of uh, awareness and branding, I guess. Is that what they're using you for? Yeah, and you look at Google's big campaign that had thousands of different bits of creative and copy very tactical, very location-driven, but it was all about how their service operates, what the value of the proposition was. And if you think about building brands, that's what you're supposed to do. And and we're seeing more and more um, technology-based businesses, for want of a better term, uh, using out-of-home significantly to build their brand. You did say, you know, your audience hasn't been disrupted. It's so much the, the narrative for many media companies, isn't it, that the audiences are being disrupted. You say out-of-home hasn't, clearly, because... People are still on the streets. People are still driving and walking. That's the that's the essential underpinnings of what you're talking about. Exactly right. You know, uh, students still go to universities. They offer environments to reach them. Catching trains, buses, whatever it may be. People are probably spending more time away from home than they are in home. Yeah, days. ironically, isn't it? Just want to come back to this the state of the market, Brendan. Um, you, you talked about 19 being difficult. Is it a blip or are we talking, and we have this perennial conversation, I know, but is it a blip or are we, are we in, in sort of some sort of systemic structural shift going on in the advertising market and the media sector and will 2020 just be a more of a reflection of that or there's the chance that things could turn around? Industries in general uh, are being disrupted and changed. Uh, we only have to look at the the retail market and the impact that, uh, November had in terms of the cyber Black Fridays or the cyber spending and how that brought a lot of spend forward in terms of uh, consumer spend and disrupted the general run into Christmas. So that's going to be a given. What we look at it from our business point of view is whoever the disruptor is, have we got a value? And at the moment, there's no doubt that out of home has a value for disruptive uh, industry areas. But I think importantly, there is that shift that's going on. I know your publication has been quite rightly, talking about a lot more, that shift to terms of of ensuring that you've got to build your brand. It isn't just all about short-term performance tactics. If you want to survive, you've still got to have a brand. And it is no coincidence that you see the uh, the Amazons, the Googles, the Apples, etc., all spending on brand. Do you think there is any broader impact from the focus, the marketer focus and the company focus on customer experience and building out their better customer experiences and putting investment into technology, which may divert the spend on media and communicating um, an experience or a product's value? Look, I think, you know, the whole 
way you keep your customers evolving and obviously that one-to-one connection you can develop with a customer is no different to what you've always tried to achieve in society. There's new tools and new investments to do that and there's no question about that could have some diversion of spend. But the reality is you've got to, you've got to get new customers. It's not just keeping your existing customers. And you've, to grow, you've got to get new people coming into, into your products. And to do that, you've got to do more than just have one-to-one communication. Zipping back to the upbeat nature uh, in, in uh, the outer home sector, you have done some interesting work with a company called Analytics Partners, which some of the findings they've come with are quite intriguing. One is that the Australian market, I think, is, is far more sophisticated and advanced than even the US in, in out of home. What is it uh, about Australia that's um, taking on the Yanks? <laughs> but, but the reality is what it's showing is that because Australia uh, is really a national advertising market, and if you think of the brands that can afford to do the larger studies that really define what is working, what we're seeing is that we, we are delivering that population, all of Australia, with all sophisticated media products. So we have great products in the metropolitan audience area, great products in the regional areas, and they're consistent. So you can buy a national program quite comfortably and easily. Whereas in America, you probably find there's a lot of inconsistencies, but also people tend to uh, be concentrating on top 10, top 25 markets. So you tend to get your uh, return on investment platforms. It's a bit more difficult to buy to to really get that scale that you would want, similar to how you can here. So I think it's more about the sophistic- the way we can deliver the audience uh, easily for an advertiser rather than necessarily always being a better better. Well, I might just beg to di- I might beg to di- uh, to differ on your behalf, then, Brendan. In that, um, I think that the analytics partners does talk about uh, some some new data developments that are coming through in the Australian market. O's done it. You you've been right on top of that. I think the Americans and even the Brits may not be where you are yet in that in that uh, area. Where we've been lucky enough is to be able to really look at what I thought we saw as a fundamental reach and frequency is fine, contacts are fine. If you look at online success, it's the death at which they uh, can determine how they target your product to a particular sort of person. And out of home is a one to better many, uh, is what we're doing, is a one to better many audience is what we're trying to achieve is how do we get you the bright people better than we can using the traditional reach and frequency style research. And so our product smart reach, which is built around um, customer buying data um, and allows us to really define which areas, which products, uh, which sites are going to better reach one to better many. And therefore, it means you get to more buyers. And what has been proven by analytics partners and others is when you can reach more people who are likely buyers of your category or your product category, then you sell more product. Makes sense, but not that easy in history to do. And I think over the last four years, we've spent a lot of money to develop product based on uh, the foundations of the research that uh, Quantium have and working with them to build uh, their data sets into, um, into a way to assign those buyer uh, understandings to every single location and determine which locations are best to reach more buyers for the broad section of uh, opportunities that are out there for clients and customers. So that, uh, to me, is the, is, the, is, the, is the foundation of difference and that allows us to hopefully achieve better results for clients, and that's what we're seeing today.
When you talk about one to better many, um, just break that down a little bit about it's clearly a, a sort of you're having half a foot in the digital camp and half a foot in mainstream and mass. It seems like you've got a, an interesting... Well, out of home is not, is not a one-to-one medium. It's not really consumed that way. So if you're wanting to reach, as an example, someone who's more likely to buy a car over $100,000, how, how the people that fit that criteria, where they live where they work, how they move around, becomes how you reach them. And certain locations will reach them stronger than other locations. And that's really what we're trying to do is to determine which are the other locations. Traditionally, when you get a brief, you might get a brief that says five cap cities and it might say, uh, you know, divide them by the population spend, the expenditure. Yet it may be that the reality is certain markets should have more money and within cities, parts of cities should have more money. And whilst elements of outer homes always been brought that way, it's never had a sophistication to really do that on mass, on scale, as accurately as we now can do it. And so this leads us to uh, an interesting development around uh, data and trading platforms uh, by by sector, right? So we've seen if we if we think about what's going on in digital out of home, we mentioned earlier that the global programmatic sector is very very hot to trot on uh, on digital out of home at the moment. But in this market, for instance, and in, in maybe your thoughts in the US and the UK as well, but in this market specifically, Brendan, uh, are we likely to see then a convergence of, of industry players into one platform? Is it going to be O-Media? Is it going to be Deco? How, how do you see that playing out in the, in the coming 12 months to two years? Look, firstly, the delivery uh, in, in any sort of automated way um, uh, of your campaign at speed does require you to rebuild the way an out-of-home company operates. So when people often say, I've got a programmatic tool at the moment, if you can imagine four people in the background pedalling push bikes, it's not really the, not really how you would call true programmatic or true automation. So that development's, you know, quite intense and all companies are working hard to readjust their business model, business practices to be able to deliver that, that anyway because we want speed. That, that we all do. We all want to be more efficient and we all want to connect in an automation way. We know that if we can make the buying time for out-to-home quicker for ad agencies, as an example, that will give them efficiencies. And that's an important part in terms of looking after your customer. Um, so in terms of but it, in terms of it really working, it's really about how can I at speed get to the right audience and buy the right products to get the right audience. And that's where all the investments in data have to come along as well. And to be fair, um, you know, it takes a while to develop quality products. But more importantly, um, there's a lot of fake data products out there as well. And, you know, um, just because you might have some mobile data, as an example, doesn't mean that it's actually any good. And often it doesn't pass the interrogative test as well. So... One of the things we've got to do, and we, we are a young industry if you think about it, particularly with the digital side of our business, we've only probably been in the last 18 months to two years as an industry at scale, audience scale. So it's very young in the terms of, you know, if you think about the same age to Facebook or Google. So what we're trying to do is get our back-end systems right, make sure that we can develop the right data products that will drive results. But importantly, importantly what is the best way to use the medium? And what we're seeing is where a lot of clients will use the same ad that they use on a classic product, they'll use that same ad on a, on a digital product. That's not very smart. But to use digital, you should be thinking of a lot around context, 
creative changes that match um, different sets of circumstances to enliven your brand. And when people use the digital product with the right context creative, they actually uh, sell more product. So a bigger, first bigger challenge for us is to ensure we can find ways to help clients um, at a cost-effective way develop creative that actually is going to sell more product first. Uh, that is actually a, a bigger priority in my view than just talking programmatic or automated because once we're selling more product, then clients can evolve how they, how they wish, to buy, excuse me, wish to buy or trade, but they need to be able to do it the right way with the right creative. And at the moment, that's still very much, uh, I would say, only about 10% of digital creative is actually being done to the standard that needs to be done. And I think your, your numbers say that it, it creative contributes about 40%. Is that right? 40% of, the, of, a, of a return on investment scenario? And, and that's the, the work by analytics part. It clearly proves that. You know, we're hardly doing, we're not doing a lot of neuro testing of creative yet. You know, we as a company have proven there's a model you can take from iconic triggers from TVC, for example, that will increase the impact by about 42%. Um, uh, neuro, sorry, uh, analytics partners' own studies have shown when clients of theirs have done uh, neuro testing to get the right iconic trigger into the ad, they've had up to a 250% difference in campaign results from non-tested ads in out of home. So, you know, I think, you know, we, it all sounds great to be saying we, uh, we want to rush to the, to the end game and make it easier and, uh, to connect, but that end game may not sell any more product. What will sell more product is a whole range of things we're trying to work through first up, and that will make the better, the medium stronger, but it'll also make when people use automation and use it correctly, it'll make it stronger for them as well. Brendan, other than, say, someone like a Deco, we haven't seen huge global consolidation in the outer home sector like we have in, in, in others, like whether it be television or even radio. What, do you see that coming? Is there, is, there a consoli- is there a regional or global consolidation coming at all? I think the reason we haven't seen the consolidation in a global sense is primarily because every country's had a lot of investment to do to build out their digital scale. Um, and I think we will start to see it as uh, automation uh, or programmatic, but automation starts to evolve where similarly clients will be looking to say, how can I get some consistency in my key markets in what I buy? Um, I'm not saying it'll happen overnight, but I think we will start to see more globalisation. Certainly there's, we've started to see it in Europe um, a, a, a occur. Um, and I think uh, uh, it'll start to move from there over the, within the next five years. I, I read a stat, uh, Brendan, uh, this week, which said there's about $110 billion uh, going to the global programmatic ad market uh, for 2020. That's the forecast. I think the digital ad, digital ad market's much bigger than that, but programmatically traded, 80% of it. Um, will be programmatically traded uh, in in a few years, but there is a lot of uh, interest in both in in terms of ad tech companies um, circling uh, the out of home, the digital out of home sector. What is driving that? Why are they so interested now in um, digital out of home, along with connected TVs and, and and television as well? Is it just they see growth opportunities, so therefore you're you're their new best friend? Yeah, I think um, it's a few reasons. I think firstly, we've got to recall that the programmatic industry grew and had a very long tail of pretty average product that probably wasn't delivering much. And we've obviously seen for a whole long range of reasons, clients take a flight back to 
more trusted uh, online connections um, through through the, the right properties. Um, and they haven't actually missed that long tail. So I think those businesses need more avenues at any rate uh, to reach audiences because, you know, it's pretty hard to keep just putting ads in a couple of duopolies. And it's not much, you know, there is not an indefinite amount of inventory, if I can put it that way. Um, but secondly, you know, if you think about it, I think everyone's recognising that, you know, um, if I, I, it's all about connecting to an audience and knowing more about that audience. At the moment, they're just looking for, particularly in out of home, I think, at the connection to say there's a bucket load of dollars over here, we could push some your way. That's great. But I don't think there's much more thought past that, to be fair, to be honest, in terms of client performance and what works exactly for clients. Um, so we are definitely a, a, an interesting area. But again, what is the connection that's needed? Um, uh, if we were connecting directly to our ad agencies and their operating platforms, um, would probably get us a greater result in terms of revenue, but also for them a greater result in how they can do the right thing by their clients. So I think there's a lot still to play out as to what is actually right. And a lot of those systems, uh, the data that's being used um, is reliant either on data that companies are providing them, um, which some of it is more robust than others, or it's they're using some type of in-app-based uh, mobile data collection to, to use. And, and to be fair, there is not a lot of thought that goes into the quite intense requirements on how trip analytics works, how you understand how people move, and they're just drawing circles around where signs are located and so applying audits to it. Right, and so do I hear um, some reluctance from you to want to participate there wholesale or it'll be a, it'll be a guarded, in, guarded sort of entry in here? I, I think we'll talk, we'll certainly explore, um, but at the end of the day, um, we own 36,000 assets, physical assets, that connect to um, Australia's population, metropolitan and regionally. Uh, and if you want those eyeballs, then we also have a responsibility to make sure that we're using it correctly. Either way, I think everyone must also remember, no ad can appear on an out-of-home sign today without one of my staff having to watch the see what the creative is and approve the creative. And so, you know... Slightly different to some other digital scenarios, correct, uh, platforms. Absolutely correct. It's absolutely rule number one. Nothing can go up without our team approving it. Well, it's an interesting segue really into this theme you've developed at O called public space media. And I think you, you, I think you mentioned earlier that it was sort of something you've been brewing for about five years. Talk us through that. I suppose in its embryo early days a few years back, it started with the view that, you know, someone, a digital scientist playing ads in certain environments probably wasn't going to ultimately be what a, a consumer would expect from that sign. And so, you know, obviously we, we've explored all sorts of ways, you know, originally just basic news. We've then created our own publications. We're an office builders. We have a thing called Upsiders, which has topics that are relevant to the type of audience that goes into offices. Or in university, our signs there have a totally uni-related feel of stories and content and linked to other online publications. But as you keep evolving public space from news and headlines to bespoke uh, stories, you start to realise what other ways should it be used. Um, you know, recent examples, of course, as the heat wave started to hit, you know, in Adelaide, we immediately had 
you know, bushfire notices go up to say it's a massive heat wave or, you know, be, be safe today, you know, the heat's going to be X, et cetera. The idea is that uh, every different environment will start to create its own own persona as to what other things other than advertising should be appearing on the digital screen and what is the public benefit. And it could get right down to the reality is a sign bringing up 20 minutes before there's a severe storm, a severe storm warning for that particular area. So very localised, very personalised. And so everything we're doing in terms of what we want to do for advertisers, if you think about it, is to be able to be tactical and smart to, to provide context. Also goes down to saying a part of our digital sign should be doing something other than playing ads. And that actually creates an engagement with the audience, and we've, we've, our own research shows that, an engagement with the audience that means the advertising is more effective ultimately as well. It's part of the rationale for you uh, making some acquisitions that you have, like Junkie, which was a sort of a, I don't know what you'd call it, a, a younger skewing content um, hub, wasn't it? And, and and that's part of the reason why you did that? With Junkie, it was a case they had, uh, cr- they were very creative. They were about storytelling. And if you think about it, you know, one thing an out-of-home company wasn't going to be long on is people who were good at storytelling. Yes, that's <laughs> um, right. So, so you're bringing that in and, you, you know, it had, you had to have a base from which you can buy, you could evolve and, and, and move it. So how does this work? How does public space work in, in say, for instance, a crisis, um, whether it be something like, because you're in New Zealand, the Christchurch massacre, or how do you deploy this, this, this network? So for the bushfires in certain areas, we've been able to get data out or we've been able to partner with people like the RFS and put data out there quickly. Or how do you react if a crisis is occurring and, the terrible events in Christchurch, what was pleasing there was the speed with which the Way Out team reacted without any, any uh, uh, for want of a better term, support, just doing the right thing. They turned all the digital signs off on the bus shelters in Christchurch as they were getting the alerts in New Zealand that there was a problem and a gunman was loose. They turned all the digital signs off because the view was what if there was something to occur at one of the shelters? Um, if you could... There would be an expectation that the advertising wasn't playing while that event was being filmed. So that was just one way. Then from there on, we didn't put ads back on. We only put um, up a the symbol that was created. So we left all the ads turned off and then all our digital signs across uh, New Zealand and totally on the Sunday were all turned off and then on the Tuesday uh, for the um, memorial services was put in. But that was all just done as a matter of doing the right thing. And perhaps on a lighter note, lighter note and talking about art, th- this is another one where you've got, um, you're doing something with the National Gallery and you're using the screen network, the digital screen network, to basically promote um, female artists that are on, on exhibition at the, the, the Australian National Gallery. Yeah, and it's the first time in Australia, I'm certain it's the first time in the world that a whole gallery is obviously going to be uh, dedicated to female art. But of course, not everyone can get to Canberra. So the idea is to take it to Australia. To have this art display, it's an important initiative to get it to as many people as possible. And more of that coming. So you see more initiatives like that. That's part of your public space media. uh, Exactly. And I think as we've now got the scale and we're obviously fine-tuning all the time, the availability of our digital um, uh, networks, obviously this allows us to think of new ways to, to use the medium for good. Well, we're going to wrap this up, uh, Brendan Cook, but uh, before I let you go, let's get um, two things from you. First, what's your hunch on the state of the ad market by the end of 2020? And what does O-Media look like um, as you go into the new year? I think the ad market going in at the end of 2020 will be actually going very strongly. I think positivity will have come back to 
the economy, um, and we'll see, and we'll see brands starting to really get behind reinvesting in, in what they need to do. Um, and that's the ad market across the board. Do you think? I, I think across the board, yes. Right. Um, in terms of out of home, you know, I think we're in that lucky position that we're one of the mediums that uh, isn't losing its audience. So therefore, we are seeing increase in ad, ad expenditure with us, and we're broadening the the both the volume of revenue that clients are spending per campaign, but also the variety of campaigns they're doing. Well, Brendan Cook, I'll let you get back to your desk and run the uh, the the burgeoning empire that is O Media. Um, thanks for coming in, and we'll chat. We'll we'll catch up later in the year and see how your predictions go. Good good to talk. Thanks very much. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.